0: You're listening to Living on the Edge, a weekly news podcast with a focus on edge cloud and mobile, featuring thoughts and analysis of these and many, many more issues by tech industry veteran, the CEO of Mobile Edge X, Jason Hoffman. And by me, I'm Dan Benjamin. If you would like to share your thoughts and feedback about this or any of our episodes, please visit livingontheedge.show. You can hit the contact button. You can see the show notes. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Jason, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Pretty good. I'm doing fine. I'm doing good Yeah, it's good good. It's a good good. week It's a big week Um, Uh, We've got a lot We've got a lot to talk about We've got the Talking about diversity Of edge computing Okay We're talking about um, Using AI And and machine learning Mm. For Luke Skywalker I mean we've Mm. got It's an action-packed Episode here Who knew that all this stuff Was going on In in edge And cloud And mobile I mean I did not But here it is But it's fine so what's what's new in your world? Just living the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't new. No, I mean that's that's your life. That's been your life. Yeah. Every ever I since mean, I met you when you were um, when you were just starting out. Yeah. Dr. Hoffman.
1: Yeah, when I was just yeah, when I was just starting out. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. As a a, a young PhD let loose into the world. That's right. Trying to make my way.
0: So the first link yeah. here. Uh, this is an article, uh, it's called um, Bringing Scale to the Edge with multi access Edge Computing. Mm, mm, yeah, mm. I mean, that's a big title. It's a mouthful. Um, but uh, what they're talking about when they say multi access edge computing, or or as you would say, MEC, because yeah. everything has to be abbreviated and pronounced. Mm-hmm. I, I think what this article is saying is that this is often used interchangeably to mean edge computing. Uh, but they're saying maybe that's not the same thing. That uh, Mac is um, is different. Maybe it's a telco centric approach to edge computing, but it's something a little bit different. But stakeholders viewing edge computing differently, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Especially like in this article it talks about the Linux Foundation's LF Edge Internet has the uh, I mean the Industrial Internet Consortium, the Open Compute Project, all of these different examples of different approaches uh, yeah. to edge computing, different, really different definitions of it.
1: Uh, I mean, I, I wish the phrase Mac multi-access edge computing, I wish that would just die. Yeah, you don't like that one? No. No, I really don't. I mean, uh, and I haven't. I mean, it started out as mobile edge computing, and it was an attempt by a standards body to define what a cloud-native infrastructure footprint would look like for the purposes of running all the you know, elements that you would have in certain parts of the mobile network. And then it was repositioned as multi-access edge computing when, of course, part of the story with 5G and everything else is that you'd actually start converging things and and, and so on like that. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a leftover phrase that... Was never really sort of educated or had inputs from the cloud world in a lot of ways, you know. I mean, so there's there, there's always elements of it that were, um, you know, odd. I don't know, just sort of oddly compromising. One, I I don't think <clears throat> edge computing requires an adjective in front of it. Sorry, like there's 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 no need to put an adjective in front of it. You know, what we're starting to get to, or what we need to get to, is something that's just inherently less less complex for people to understand. Now, there are a lot of elements in this article that are very good. You know, in the sense of, you know, imagine a scenario where, you know, every mobile operator's got, you know, a footprint that allows you to do something with. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the times, sticking to mech as a term, making it very, like, you know, because it's even specific to one of the standards bodies, not like all three of them, so it's not even commonly used across oh, the, the standards which, bodies. Which
0: is the one that kind of uses it? or Etsy. It?
1: Yeah, it's the, the European Telecommunication Standards Institute, that one. Um, but, you know, keep in mind that's different from 3GPP, which is different from, you know, the International Telecom Union, and those are like different standards bodies. Um. And so you know I, I just think a lot of the things around the mech standard has been um, I don't know I mean a, a lot of the concepts I mean because you know look it's you almost, we almost have to go into a little bit of like what what edge is. here there's this classic like and, and this was like you know one of the one of the figures in there is a very common one that's shown up, you know that there's edge very edge. Far edge, edge, (laughs) multi-access edge, you know, edge cloud, right? And so um, if you just simplified this and said, what if we just don't put an adjective in front of edge? There's no adjective in front of cloud, right? Right. So why is there an adjective in front of edge? That's a good question. What the hell's the difference between edge, remote edge, very edge, super edge, mega edge, deluxe (laughs) edge? Like, what's the difference? Right. Um, And, uh, you know, I think it is... It's good to have this type of detail, but all the adjectives make it more confusing than it should be, and there's no technical basis for those adjectives. You know, when we start thinking about um, some basic open questions in the space, and let's go ahead and take a telco-centric view of it, okay, since this proposes to be a telco-centric view. Uh, Well, the basic proposal is that telcos are going to go and offer... An environment that's present within their networks that lets people deploy their applications in, and where those applications can be supported in very normal ways, and perhaps even given uh, beneficial capabilities from, like any other service-oriented architecture, some native edge service that's sitting there. Right. So n- nothing, nothing, nothing strange. You know, from that perspective. Now, what's contingent upon telcos. Is that when you look at anything that's a successful software as a service, you are solving a hard distributed system problem for developers. You are providing some that means of distribution and deployment, and ideally, some ways to economically engage. Even if that just means how to be a customer,
0: right? Right.
1: That's a core issue not addressed in this framework in any sort of way, shape, or form. Not part of Etsy. I mean, you know what I mean. It's 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 not. It sort of distracts from like the issue. If you if you think of this base question of is there a long term defensible definition of edge, and is it worthy of being an industry level abstraction, those are other big questions to basically answer. Um, and you know, as we just said, if we say edge is an embedded application environment in a wireless network, then we're saying the clouds are that same embedded application environment embedded in the internet. And there's an application environment that's on the device themselves. And so just like how the internet goes and talks to a wireless network and talks to you know the modem that's on a device, just like you have these three distinct areas of networking, you have three distinct embedded application environments. And those we've decided to give names to. The one in on the internet we call the cloud. The one in on the wireless networks we call the edge. And uh, the one in on devices, well, they go by different names, but it's, you know, Android, yeah, iOS. I've, Jason, I've know, never heard anyone explain it like this before. But it's not But it, but then you, sort of, then you sort of go and say, okay, right now, just about everything interesting has a device on it somewhere. You're using a PC or a laptop or a smartphone or something, right? Right. Um, and there's a way that you put the application on there and what that looks like. And then the applications always have a back end that do something. At the very least, they do... Login authentication, right. you know, user database, those kind of things, right? Those always go and sit on a cloud somewhere now. And in between, uh, the telecom industry has just been providing connectivity. And as part of an overall edge effort, we're saying that, you know what? We should do more than just that. Right? Yeah. Um, and when you sort of sit down and say the proposal is that there's an industry abstraction that is now device edge and cloud, not just a device talking to a cloud, you know, with no edge in the middle, but mm-hmm. it's going to be a device talking to an edge to a cloud, then I think one of the missing opportunities here from a NVIDIA standpoint is why. Why fundamentally from a emerging application standpoint is it important to like complete that continuum, right? You know, and what I mean is you imagine that there's almost like building blocks of here's your network, here's your compute, here's your data. But that's present along the entire path now, right? And the basic answer is when you look at these things, so many applications now are very data-centric. And if they can involve elements of machine learning, they do. And, you know, what it means is that a lot of application designs nowadays are sort of really actually changing from traditional client-server to ones that are largely looking at the flow of data along a pipeline. Right? So your data' is flowing from device you know through the network into another one into another one into another one. if you can intelligently do things with that data along sort of the way, um, if you're going and building an AI pipeline style app and you and you'll actually hear a lot of these apps referred to as like an AI pipeline or a right. machine learning pipeline, this pipeline, that pipeline well even just conceptually from an, an analogy, you're making a pipeline, And if the edge isn't in the middle, the pipeline's not complete, right? You can't make a pipeline that's supposed to go up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and then just start up on the other side and say Uh it's a pipeline. So the very nature of all emerging applications tend to be pipeline designs where you're looking at the flow of data going back and forth like through them. Uh, you occasionally have these little loops that come back and control something, these loops that come back and infer something, but it's a pipeline style design. And so we actually have to surface up the ability for that pipeline to actually lay down on a device and an edge and a cloud, in my opinion. So. so this stuff can be made really simple. Um, a cloud talks to an edge. Uh, and, uh, you know, edges are embedded in wireless networks. Uh, they have other technical characteristics like all the applications need location specificity. In the cloud, it doesn't. You know, my stuff's off in the cloud, doesn't matter. Stuff's in the edge, you gotta know where it is. Uh, and there's a couple of these distinctions where I think as an industry, we actually have to start getting rid of the adjectives, coming down to more common views. Um, you know, not continuing to promote words that are used by one standard's body uh, or, you know, actually makes the conversation more confusing. But, you know, um, start getting into clarifying more simple things that are at the same time technically valid.
0: Well, one of so, the things that, that you were mentioning in what you were saying was talking about how there exists software and development also, like, within the concept of, of edge. This next article that we have talks about the re, what they call the reality of edge application development. Mm. And uh, the author of this is uh, Vijoy Pandey, I think is how I say his name. Um, and his, theory or what he's saying is that the edge has now exposed this need for a new development framework that we need newer data management apis we need newer data management services we need different ways to invoke and slice and stitch together the ai and the machine learning tool chains and that all of this needs to be new it needs to be more efficient. It needs to be designed for things like computer vision, because if you're talking about analyzing images, well, that's computer vision. If you're talking about identifying human beings, whether it's for authentication or for a million other uh-huh. reasons, all of this is this computer vision. And then there's also natural language understanding. Um, and it's all, what he's saying is it all has to work over highly distributed environments. It has to, Uh, make use of computing architectures that are incredibly different and Mm. uh, what do you think about this? I know you spent some time in software development too.
1: I mean, I find zero issues with this article. My only issue is it's exactly what we've been saying at Mobile EJX for four years Mm. and it's not a Mobile EJX person that's saying it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but that might be a good thing, right? I mean, that means maybe that the industry is waking up to what y'all have been talking about. I mean, tell me tell me what you guys have been saying for four years.
1: Uh no, that it's that um that these collection of issues in here are exactly the issues. And I mean the whole the whole the whole core thing is like what we were just saying is is there like you remember you remember Say, say, say back when we were doing stuff in 2005, five six, Dan, where you're talking about Web 2.0 developers right, and, sure. and Ruby on Rails things, but you actually sat and said there are people that were doing web apps, mobile apps, social, that began to self-identify as developers of those things. And there were different communities that came underneath that, depending on the technology choices people made. Right. Yeah. So you may be part of the Ruby on Rails community, but you could be doing a web, a mobile, or a social app or the combination of those three things.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: Um, right. And um uh you you could say, well, I work on turbo gears instead, you know, <laughs> or you know, or, or you know, I'm I'm making a bunch of WordPress plugins, but you would self-identify yourself as that. So if you ask a very basic question of what is currently the name of the developer community that is self-identifying
0: as, as, as edge stuff, right? a
1: net new developer of edge apps. But what, what do they call themselves?
0: Oh, gosh, I have no idea. Is there even yeah, a term? Exactly.
1: No, no, that's, that's what I mean. There there's, there's not a like, um, now what you have is you have a lot of people that are forming around certain technical communities, AI, machine learning, Right, natural language processing, computer vision. It's almost like that would come Uh, first. You'd say,
0: I'm doing machine learning, oh, and I'm doing it for edge stuff.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's a little where, um, no. just recall back then, I mean, look, Amazon Web Services, called Amazon Web Services, they're called Amazon Public Cloud. So nobody used Public Cloud back then. We actually sat down and said, uh, you know what, all enterprise applications are becoming web applications, is what we said. Uh, and uh, oh, geez, the smartphone just showed up. All web apps need to be native to mobile, right? And right. whether you're within an enterprise or consumer only, um, a lot of the social graph of what's going on becomes really important. Those were like big things yeah. uh, that you know happened, you know, almost 20 years ago. And we sit down and we say, well, generally, what I find is that. Those things begin to assemble in any large new movement that matters too. And maybe the edge word doesn't matter Mm. so much as cloud didn't really matter back then. But if like AWS started today, would they call themselves Amazon Web Services? Hmm. Would they call themselves something else? Right. Uh, And so I think so, in, in one way, we talk about people going and developing. New emerging devices, new emerging use cases, technically and functionally, we can go and describe where those sit. They're very distributed applications they have concepts of mobility in them that applications haven't previously had to have uh, they're data intensive uh, they involve you know machine learning uh, you know they involve computer vision uh, you know they involve like the coordinated um, traffic management of devices that may be behaving in an autonomous way. Uh, You know, there might be some next generation consumer experience that's multi-display, multimodal, interactive, personalized, collaborative. But those are all almost the technical and functional elements as you go and describe them. But if you sat down and you said, "Ah, okay, I'm a developer of X that uses edge. (laughs) Right? Right. Um, we don't know. It's not sort of a, you know, we're not, we're not sort of really talking about that. Now, when you look at um, those issues, um, I'd say that, you know, everything um, our friend from Cisco here said was uh, correct. Um, there's just uh, probably one thing I'd like to point out out of it and that would be that you know there's a thing in there about the challenges of the edge where um you know the software development and sre teams need to address these things and you know a lot of these become um where i think we tend to at least from a Mobile Edge X perspective, break from a philosophical perspective from what a lot of other people say out there. And then you can almost sit down and say, there's an SRE team that has everything on a cloud and they're talking about how they go from having their stuff on a cloud and pushing it into the edge and how they're going to go and make those types of decisions. I think technically there's bigger issues than that. Because when you go on the other end, you say, well, no, actually it's about putting the application on the devices and having potentially millions to billions of these deployments with these devices. And then it has to go and the needs of that device and the needs of the application has to trigger all the automation from there. Um, It's literally down to the differences between declarative interfaces and imperative interfaces. It's down to the difference of whether you actually have mobility concepts in things like uh, Pi calculus, but a lot of other languages are based on lambda calculus, where you don't have that, but it's bolted on top of. And I mean, you, you get down to a couple like fundamental, you know, issues. I think, for example, if the use of edge is something that is part of an SRE team's decision making, eh, you know, it's not. It's not. It just means you're not solving some of the harder technical problems in there. That the, the operating model um, has a certain distribution and scale to it. It's not going to be done manually by teams, hmm. but other than that, yeah. I mean, fine, fine article. It's good to see. Uh, um, it's good to see VJoy at Cisco. Yeah, saying things that sound familiar. And
0: yeah, you can take credit for it. I think it's safe. No, I no, I wouldn't no, do that. I, would I never, mean... never. Uh, virtualizing the RAN, <laughs> Jason, <laughs> like the virtualization work that was previously completed in. The core of the network, this is decoupling software and hardware functionality that's supposed to enable the network to be built on general-purpose hardware. I always like the sound of that, using uh, what what you would call COTS, common off-the-shelf hardware. Yeah. That's going to give better flexibility, right? It gives us the ability to upgrade the infrastructure, swap out the infrastructure, introduce new products and services more quickly because, you know, instead of this single-purpose hardware... This is a move to cloud native container based virtualized architecture standards i I you know I don't know I always find this
1: i mean there's there's stuff that stays in this industry and continues to be talked about for a very long time, even beyond um you know their their shelf life no pun intended and common off the shelf is a good example um, everything's cots hardware nowadays. The telco smash. No, there's why are no, they talking like,
0: about it like it's new? Why are they saying that it's um, like
1: breaking? because because people, people, their whole concept of what telco hardware is is basically stuck into like a 2003 circuit switch deployment of voice infrastructure. Yeah, it's just, it's just um, nobody. You know, and, and and even though you might go to a traditional vendor like an Ericsson or a Nokia, and they're giving you a fully supported system, you look inside of it; it's all COTS components. There's like very little in there, um, and um, but you know, like what's in here is you know, it's like I'd, I'd say my general comment to this article is, duh. <laughs>
0: There's, I mean, I'm Um, seeing a a trend. There's a lot of Samsung's doing a great job, and I think that
1: that's maybe. um, No, but Samsung's doing a great job uh, going and, um, you know, offering their entire portfolio in a you know virtualized, deployable way. They can be deployed in anything. So they go and they buy that from Samsung separately. Okay, and then what you have is Intel has come up with a system that allows you to take a pretty standard server and slot in different PCIe cards and stuff so that you actually have the specialized compute in that server that's needed for that workload. That's what the FlexRAN system is. It's literally just a normal server that you get, and then you slot in a little PCIe card with an FPGA, and you slot in the little one with this, and you slot in the little one with that, and now, lo and behold, you've constructed um, a base station and you know the elements um, in there uh, without having it constructed as a singular system. Now... It's a, it's it's also I'd like to point out it's a server. So it's not like you take this thing and stick it outside. You know, so a lot of the quote unquote telco native type things you do, um or the things that, you know, quote unquote aren't compatible with the data center, is because the damn thing is going outside. Mm-hmm. So everything you're just doing is largely from a ruggedization standpoint. Right,
0: that makes sense. If you climb
1: up a tower and grab one of these base stations up there and crack the thing open with the hammer, and I I don't suggest you do that, but if you did, you'd see Intel FPGA sitting in there. You'd see an Intel Ethernet adapter sitting in there. Uh, It just what you wouldn't see sitting in there is... A rack server with all these things stuck in on a PCI card, you'd see them all on a common board, right? Uh, you know that was made by the same ODMs and OEMs and everyone else that sort of goes in there and it pops in there, great. Um, and then, uh, and then you know, Wind River in this case, I mean, they're one of the largest suppliers of a real-time operating system that everyone uses and ran anyway. So it's the operating system that sits inside of the Ericsson, Nokia, and et cetera products anyway, um, and so. You know, what you basically sat down as here is you said, okay, well, instead of going and buying this from an Ericsson where the whole thing's packaged up and supported, or going and buying it from a Nokia where the whole thing's packaged up and supported. Well, let's go buy a server from Intel that's got some stuff in it. Let's go buy, you know, the infrastructure software from One River, you know, and and you know, let's go ahead and um, take the Samsung stuff and put it on top. And that's totally fine. Um, you know, generally the only difference that you start having here is the question of who exactly then supports this entire combination of stuff because if Verizon is putting all this together and supporting it, then congratulations, this is now their issue. If there's an issue here, it's their problem. Um, and, uh, you know, no one's going to sign, a you know, an SLA contract that supports the entire, you know, device. Right. But I, there's nothing... Um, There's nothing ground-shaking innovative in it. I mean, it's literally, I mean, and this is where, you know, sometimes the telco space I think is very weird for those of us that spend a bunch of time in the other spaces is this is an entire news article where somebody's saying instead of of them buying an appliance, okay, instead of them buying like a load-balancing appliance from F5, they bought a server, they went and got some Red Hat, and they stuck Nginx on it. Right. That's basically, you know, it's like, congratulations.
0: (laughs) You installed software on a server. Right. Good. I mean, that seems like it would be a good thing. You know, it's
1: just that um a lot of a lot of operators are fundamentally uh debt raising capex machines mm. that try to poop a lot of cash out on one end and they want to offload as much of that risk to their vendor base as possible. Um the more you break things up yourself and the more you architect them yourself and the more you do them yourself, then it means that you're taking on that risk. So if this thing doesn't work, um, yeah, it's not, Sam, Samsung's not responsible for making the whole, sure the whole thing works. Intel's not responsible for making the whole thing work. Right? Wind River's not responsible for making the whole thing work. You know, someone there's responding. And so the, and the, the calculation, I think, for most people is it's not whether it's good or bad, whether you do this or not. You know, the question really is, you know, whether you're, you know, so many of these deals in the telco space, they're, they're basically the operators buying an insurance plan. Mm-hmm. And then they get technology as part of the implementation of that. They don't want to buy that insurance plan. They want to self-insure. Then they'll go and put some, you know, technologies in place. Right, and then it's just a question of how big of an operator are you? You know, can you do? That? And it's no different than, like I said, self-insuring, right?
0: So this next article kind of connects yeah, to this like, in an interesting way because you've got Telus, which is this Canadian telecommunications company. They went through and they did a data supply chain project. They overhauled their approach to managing I mean, and what, sharing what is information. What is it this even, what is it, an article in Google, by blog. the way. And um, they are saying that they struggled with data silos, uh, lack of data management across teams. And uh, yeah. Monty Hamilton is their chief digital officer, says we have some of the largest data sets in the world. By strength, <laughs> I mean, I. Think, do how you do, do you think quantify? It? I don't believe that don't, doesn't sound right.
1: <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they have big data sets, but I, I wouldn't.
0: Um... Largest in the world, Jason. I don't know. By strengthening our approach to management through cloud, we can enable our world-class data analytics professionals to unlock the value of information to devise more effective strategies to serve customers. Mm. Yeah. And uh, this is you know, I mean they're saying that they worked with Accenture and Google to optimize this so that their data scientists could come in and use the, t- the develop tools and have tools that they need to what, in their words, enhance customer journeys. Okay, what does all this mean? Why is this an article? Why are we talking about this? I don't know. I mean, it's on Google
1: Cloud, right? It's probably them just trying to say something nice about customers. Uh, I, I <laughs> yeah, no, because it says here it's like to log customer interactions, right? So, um, they're, they're just literally logging what interactions their customers and what their customers are doing. So, so I imagine what they probably had beforehand was some exascale footprint from Oracle or Teradata. They had some traditional data warehousing thing Um, and they would have to make some monstrosity of a, you know, query to sort of go and do that and then sit there and stand around for two days while the data warehouse stuff chewed through that and uh, moving over to Google Cloud, made all that
0: faster. Okay. Nice. Great. Next. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) I mean, it's not I, even really I mean, a a case study or anything because there's no information about it. I but you know the thing
1: is it's um, you know like Amazon themselves you know have this Redshift product which is their data warehouse and historically they were a big Oracle customer and then a few years ago you know they uh, talked about themselves that you know after I don't know fifteen or sixteen years of doing. AWS and eight years of Redshift being a product. It's finally good enough to like have Amazon.com use it as their data warehouse. Um, Google, I assume so, is probably really good at handling large data sets, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I type in a search. It starts showing up They're probably really good at making queries against a large data set. Um, if you have a data set that you consider large, and it's taking you longer than you would like to access it, I can't imagine a better company to go work with and ask for some help, right? Um, so, great.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. I mean, if you can afford it, why not go to the why experts not? and why not? ask them? Why not? Uh, does your vehicle, Jason, assuming you have a vehicle, does, it, do. does it have... Uh, like built-in 4G fi- or anything like that in into the actual vehicle itself? It does, yeah. Have you I ever used up. that? I have. So like yeah, you've I mean, had devices, I mean, I the whole, maybe that were Wi-Fi on like your kids' iPads or something, and you've had them just connect to that and use that as opposed to like using your own personal phone as a hotspot? No. No. What do you think the main use case is for vehicles that have internet connections in them? Is it for the vehicle to download updates to itself? Is it that you want to stream like Spotify know, or something whole, while the, you're driving and not have to connect your phone probably. over Bluetooth? Like, well, how are people using this?
1: Uh, I mean, I think, uh, well, I mean, you know, there's, there ends up being for any network connectivity that's in a car. There ends up being at least two end users. One end user is the people that made the car and the other end user people to drive the car. Mm hmm. Um, software updates and all of that is done by the people that made the car and I'm sure that's a good thing for them to go and do mm-hmm. um, for um you know people that you know if you have a nice enough car it just means that rather than using your your phone your your phone goes and makes your car do stuff and the car can handle connectivity on its own right um i mean personally I never i never i wouldn't use my car as a wi-fi hub for my my kids sitting in the back because I don't want them Using iPads while I'm driving, getting car sick and puking in my car. I don't. <laughs> I actually don't want that to
0: happen. No, I don't blame you. So
1: well, the reason the reason I, don't that, the reason get, I, don't I asked Jason because AT has I,
0: signed a deal, an expanded deal, a collaboration with GM. Yeah, they're going to get five G equipped vehicles from them starting in 2024, and they said that over the next 10 wow. years, GM and AT and T expect to have five um, G in quote. Millions of GM vehicles coming off the yeah. assembly line, okay. um, and uh, they they think that this is you know the way of the future. This is they won't they won't say <laughs> okay uh, they won't disclose the five G bands that the vehicles will support. Uh,
1: okay, but but you know, see so the thing is is that, like you know GM does OnStar. Yeah. Okay. Um, OnStar has been LTE based for a decade. Uh, AT and T did like in vehicle Wi-Fi high, high you know, Wi-Fi hotspots with GM also a decade ago. Um, okay, so now it's five G. That's it. Okay, yep. okay. Is it is it like? And then what for what? Is it going to prevent my car from hitting another car?
0: I don't think so. No. Okay, then you
1: know, like I don't know. This is one of these boring five G announcements.
0: Well, what, the one interesting thing that stood out for me that I thought like was good, actually like good, good, for, good for you,
1: good for you. you, you I updated mean, the I,
0: protocol. obviously, like GM owners are going to have to enroll in a connected services data plan. We don't know what the price is going to be for that. Um, if you have an LTE vehicle from like 2019 or, or beyond that apparently you can swap out and upgrade to 5G. But GM said that drivers across all of its brands have used more than 171 million gigabytes of data over a million the, or billion these connections.
1: Billion trillions, how many gazillions?
0: Uh, one hundred and seventy-one million gigabytes. Let me ask you that. Let me ask you a question.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, why? You know, we have a we have a whole unit system, right? Of megabytes, gigabytes, yeah, terabytes, petabytes, uh-huh. exabytes, zettabytes. Uh-huh. Why would
0: you write one hundred and seventy-one million gigabytes? Instead of like hundred and seventy one thousand terabytes or Well million, this is like a
1: thousand thousand. So gigabyte, the next one up is what? Terabytes? Terabyte. Okay, and the next one up is You tell me. Petabytes? I think so. Okay, so they've used 171 petabytes? Maybe it's because uh nobody that has a petabyte hard <laughs> drive. Maybe <laughs> no, nobody, no maybe, one knows no what a
0: petabyte is. Maybe no one and hundred and seventy no one sounds much is. less <laughs> impressive
1: than 171 petabyte because no one has a petabyte hard drive at home and says, My god, it's a big hard drive, right? Okay, but I so so they've done 171 petabytes. Is 171 petabytes a lot since 2014. I, I what is that 17
0: petabytes a year? I mean, it feels like a lot, it feels like a lot to go through a car. <laughs> 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 I probably do hundred and seventy one petabytes, you know, just streaming Netflix in a in a week. But I think mm. for you know, for people doing this in their cars, like what are they doing? Like that's what I'm curious about is what what are they actually I, what, doing? What, what, what car do you drive? You drive a car, right? Yeah. I drive a, a Ford F one fifty. I live in Texas. It's a request you God, just they give you one damn. when you move here. Yeah and yeah, i Ford. have i have like i see the Ford F150 Y-Fi comes with like used. the uh,
1: it comes with like the uh the zombie machete option mm-hmm. instead of the 5G option that's right wow how do you how do you like Ford F150 two door it's a four door vehicle
0: yeah four door it's, it's like it's got a the cab it's got more room in it than um than my SUV had for my uh for my family to ride in there is is a truck space op, open or do you have a the shell? The bed there? in the back? No, there's no shell. Yeah. It's just an open bed. Use Good it. I on. use I use the heck out of this as a truck too and it can tow, which is great if you have a boat or an RV. What do you
1: what do you, what do you put in it?
0: Human beings in the front part <laughs> and then in the back part items.
1: Yeah, I mean the four door like the 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 four door Ford F150 is just about as um
0: like why wouldn't you own one? I do. You
1: know what I mean. Well, yeah, I, yeah, you do. You're right. Do
0: they have an electric one yet? Uh they announced it. It's not oh. um you know, they showed Go it really. off, but it I don't think it ships just, until next the year. 2022, electric Ford. Uh but those things are amazing. And what I just thankfully thankfully they, they still look like a truck. They don't look like something from Back to the Future. They look no. uh like an actual Ford F one fifty truck and they're oh, just electric that, you and know they're what great and I you know would love to have one.
1: Sets, it's going to have dual motors. Yeah. And a, and a giant frunk. What's a frunk?
0: Well, since you don't have the engine in there anymore, it is a trunk in the front. A frunk. Because we amazing. need terms for everything. <laughs> you can't just say the trunk is now in the front. English, English a is frunk.
1: Amazing. This is one of the things that makes English look very, very nice.
0: <laughs> don't you think
1: so? It's okay. got so the whole front. Mm-hmm. Of that Ford is a frunk now. Mm-hmm. That's... I don't know why I wouldn't buy one of these.
0: Why wouldn't I buy one of these? You need one. I don't know why you don't have a truck as it is. It's weird. Every time I talk to you, I think that. I mean, the electric, it's just so big, too. Yeah, you can fit your whole family in there. I and mean, You can throw stuff in the back. You can pull, tow your boat. Fully electric. I mean, that's like guilt-free, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there is a uh, a telco smart trends report for q3 of 2021 now, i know yeah. that you've been yeah. waiting for this with as much anticipation as i have not um, really um that you can't it's, it's you couldn't a, wait a, you were up all last night waiting just checking is it out yet is now is it out yet here it is yeah and i'm sure that you read it you printed it um but one of the things that that's interesting is they say that although 80 percent of csps are allowed to prioritize during congestion yeah. The real-time knowledge about congestion is limited. At best, forty-four percent of those surveyed, uh, and it's probably lower, as only a third are using automated adaptive tools today. That's the big takeaway from this thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I think the. Um, so I think uh, in the for the sake of time, yeah, we can be really short on this one. Okay, it's a good thing for people to read. The key here, though, is the quality of experience part of it. So in the case of 5G, and particularly now with making it possible to let people program their own network slices and the like, even though it's always a very discussed part of 5G, it's not really been available to developers yet. But um, in a lot of ways, what mobile operators have to get really good at is um guaranteeing quality of experience and and the and and that if there's and that is important because all the emerging workloads for edge are super sensitive to all the underlying aspects on how you do quality of experience so um the fact that uh, everybody's like not doing it and they 're not good at it and they 're not automating it and it 's not considered it 's definitely one of these things that um, people have to start taking seriously into
0: common all right so that will be in the show notes you can go to living on the edge dot show slash six to see these show yeah. notes by the way Jason um we've got a one more and then a little bit of a bonus um, IBM. There's an article here, Why Organizations Are Betting on Edge Computing. And this is uh, an entire, this is a PDF. It's mm-hmm. got beautiful uh, stock graphics in it. Someone it's laid a, this thing good, out. I mean, this good, is nice.
1: It's a good, good piece of marketing.
0: It really it is. is. Um, yeah. Edge-induced responsiveness can lead to significant business oh. benefits, is what they're saying. The majority oh. of respondents tell told IBM that edge computing will help them reduce operating costs um, automate workflows uh, all happening by 57 and 56% respectively over the next five years, close to half of the people that they surveyed or companies expect edge capabilities to increase productivity and accelerate decision-making. How does it accelerate decision-making? Um,
1: helps people make decisions faster. <laughs> they're just saying that, that all they're saying is that if you do these things, on premise, that it's going to happen faster. That, that's all. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll tell you again, I, I, I can keep my comment here really short. Great marketing. Wonderful. Very nicely done. And it's also good to see that IBM is not behind the cue ball like they were with cloud. Now, part of that, I think, is the very nature of Edge itself in that going back to even the beginning of the comments, um, everybody knows what software as a service is. Go get software as a service, right? There's your Twilio and HubSpot and WordPress.com and all that. Go use a public cloud, Amazon, Microsoft, Google. Um, Edge is now becoming the catchword for everything that's left at the enterprise. Everything that's left at the enterprise is all that IBM has left because the public clouds were actually pretty disruptive to their system integration revenue and their services revenue and what they were doing for people because as stuff went off and moved to the cloud, people were also more likely to go ask Accenture for that help, Wipro for that help, Mm -hmm. TCS for that help, not IBM, from that. Um, And so, you know, for IBM, cloud has basically been continuously trying to put more water into, a bucket of water, it's got a hole in the bottom of it. and So... <clears throat> um, that's always been challenging, both from a uh, positioning and why IBM and why now and that type of thing. I think what they're doing a really good job of is okay. Well, edge is what they do. It's like a good phrase for that. And uh, I think the team's putting together, you know, good good marketing in there. And it is vastly more helpful than say, you know, the very very first article we talked about in the sense of you notice that. This actually, I think, in a lot of the things here, brings it together and simplifies it more than you know. Sort of sitting there and saying that, uh, you know, like IBM's not saying that there's far edge, near edge, approximate edge, (laughs) telco edge, enterprise edge. There's not like nine edges in here. Um, They actually have a pretty unified approach to it, and I think you know Rob High in particular, who's been the VP and CTO for that, um, has a proper understanding of what it is and is doing a good job marketing it. Nothing, nothing terribly like, Oh, you know, <laughs> super, super groundbreaking insightful in there, but it definitely.
0: Well, our last article, which is kind of a bonus um, bonus. Ooh. It's a YouTube video. Did you watch it? Oh,
1: I did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Since so John Favreau and using AI because uh, he used it in a season finale of the Mandalorian. <sighs> so good. Um,
1: such a good show
0: where at this in this finale i hope it's not a spoiler uh but you know this out on the internet so we're just talking about it um they wanted to bring back luke skywalker so they have a documentary about the making of the whole of season two but he talks about the approach and how they used ai and machine learning to create this amazing visual effect and also the voice of a young luke skywalker um he said that the he talks about how massive the data was. Um, and I mean, it's, it's 4k stuff and it was used to explore the best method to bring him back to life. Cause they were going to try any yeah. approach that they could, but I think they were trying to do it without using people, you know, where they had a person and then they had to digitally alter their face or their voice or something. Um, and he did talk a little bit about deep fakes too. And um, he says that even today with the technology in the deep fake, space kind of advancing that most people will mm. not be able to tell a computer generated character versus a human actor, even, even today, but in the very near future. Um, and so that's kind of a bigger issue. I was wondering if you had a minute to talk about, but what did you think of this little documentary?
1: Oh, I mean, I love, the, I love the show for, for one and yeah. you're, you know, you're yeah. And what was even good about it was, you know, and this is, is he was talking about, you know, the different, Methodologies that could be used to go mm-hmm. and do something like this, and how you know, they ultimately went with this trusted de aging sort of technique. Um, and he's right, you know. It's funny as he says, you know, AI companies should have a "quote unquote" check mark validation, but right. it, it means that the veracity of data and the integrity of data as it moves along some chain of custody becomes pretty important, as you can imagine. Uh, I mean, the um, um. You know, if, you, if we start having, you know, video surveillance systems actually have full computational capabilities and this type of thing, then like, then what? Right. Just, you know, they can, you know, it's, you know, I can make it so that Dan looks like he's robbing a Laker store in Florida.
0: Right. I mean, uh, that's, you know, I that's mean, kind so. of the the biggest concern that I've had. Um, I, I was trying to think about this after I had watched this and I, you know, the deep fake thing is something I think about sometimes. You know, there hasn't really been a technology that's come out that has unnerved as many people, especially smart people, mm-hmm. as like the deep fake kind of technology. Um, and, you know, what I've said is if this stuff is so easily hitting mainstream, I mean, you're talking about TikTok filters. You know I mean little, little, that, little that's you know little, that's little something you could do going, right there on said, your phone, shitters. and it's believable, yeah, just yeah. on your phone. imagine then what does that say about people with actually very very powerful supercomputers and what they could do, yeah, it's concerning uh because they're really it it used to be seeing as believing, but that's that's not really true anymore. Uh, you could show someone, you, you know, your next door neighbor, uh, with a little bit of work, you could make it look like they were the ones robbing the liquor store, oh, like yeah. you said. And at some point, we are going to be in big trouble because there's not going to be any way to tell the difference. Like right now, you could probably tell away, and that's but- why
1: that's why my main message on this is the best way for everybody to prevent this from happening to them, to prevent the capture of their faces. And everything flowing into this type of system is to wear a mask right now. Clever. Whether you're inside, whether you're outside, Uh let's prevent the powers that be, in particular the Biden administration, from capturing our faces Uh and putting us too in future episodes Uh of The Mandalorian. That's how we'll do it. Wear a mask.
0: I like that. We'll end prevent. with that. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Jason fixed. or me, you can go to livingontheedge.show. Uh, click the contact link. We'll get your email that way. If you want to reach out to him on Twitter, he's Jason H. I'm at Dan Benjamin. And uh, that's all we got for you. So, uh, Jason, have a good one. We'll be back next week.
1: Yeah, thanks. I'm just looking at the Ford F-150 website. Yeah.
0: That by next down. week, I expect you'll have one. Maybe. Bye.